That was beautiful. Every once in a while you hear a song like that, and, just, and I just want to sit, and then I know I'm next. But I just want to sit and enjoy that moment. That just was absolutely beautiful. To me, this time of year usually is filled with a vast array of emotions that when you look at the span of how broad they are, it sometimes can be fascinating. From every end of the spectrum you can imagine, we deal with all kinds of emotions from heights of joy to depths of sorrow. There are a lot of people at this time of the year are stressed out more than they normally are. So much to do, so many events, so many gifts to buy, so little time, so little money. We all know that there's more than one Grinch who stole Christmas, which, sidebar for a moment, did you hear the guy that made the analysis that we shouldn't ought to share the old family favorite, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, anymore because it displays so much bullying? You haven't seen that one on the news? I'm sitting there going, somebody has way too much time on their hands. And then the psychologist in Pittsburgh comes back and says, somebody has way too much time on their hands. I agree. We all know there are more than one Grinch who steals Christmas. There's the time and activity Grinch where we feel like we've got to pack all this stuff we possibly can into it to make us believe that we've got to do it all until we're exhausted by the 25th and miss the joy of Christmas. Or the financial Grinch who makes us believe that we've got to buy it all until we're so far in debt that it's insane. I'm sure at one point or the other you've heard a little spin on walking in a winter wonderland that said later on we'll perspire as we stare at the fire and stay so afraid of bills yet to pay walking in a winter wonderland. There are some people at this particular time of the year that deal with a lot of deep emotions. I said to you a moment ago that I have a funeral on Tuesday night. We had a beautiful lady named Betsy Lerino who's been to our church for the last couple of years and this fall she started teaching the two-year-old class and just a few weeks ago, was teaching our two-year-old class, and next few days didn't feel well till she went into the hospital, uh, went into a drug-induced coma, and then during that process had a massive stroke, and yesterday morning passed away. And I've been watching this over the last few weeks, trying to imagine what it must be like for the family, not only this time of the year, but of course any time of the year to use, lose someone you love. And then when I sat and talked to the mom who I'd never met before, this is the second daughter she's lost this year both in their 40s and 50s. And so as I began to reflect on that, and even knowing Tuesday night, at preparing the funeral, and for many people, but for that particular family, Christmas will be filled with a, an enormous amount of emotion. There's a lot of people at this time of the year, as it comes closer to the year, will recognize that for the first time, their Christmas celebration is missing one or two people. Many families gather together now more on Thanksgiving than Christmas, just because of the vast array of traveling, but for a lot of folks, this is a reminder that this is the first Christmas that mom won't be here, first Christmas that dad won't be here. And for a lot of folks, so it's the, the awesome privilege of being able to share and celebrate and love and joy and all that goes with that, but you also know that for some folks, they're dealing with a lot of pain. A few weeks ago, I got an email from a young couple, just a sweet, sweet couple, who the night before Thanksgiving, or the day before Thanksgiving, found out that the baby that she's carrying for the very first time may not make it to the end. And I thought, what must it be like to celebrate Thanksgiving the very next day after finding out that kind of news? And, and all of us at some point or the other, I'm sure, have known family members or a friend who's going through some deep emotional waters at this time of the year. And I don't want to ignore that, nor do I want you to. I find that so often we don't know what to say, so we choose to say nothing, and it's usually the wrong choice. As opposed to say, I'm really praying for you. I know you're going to miss so-and-so. I know it's the first Christmas without 
so-and-so, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And we'll be praying for you that weekend. There's a lot of folks that celebrate in a variety of ways with more emotions than you can imagine. There are a lot of people like me who love this time of year. I love the lights. I, even this year, for the very first time, I wasn't Scrooge putting up the lights. I didn't fall off of ladders, didn't fall off of roofs or anything like that this year, so it was a good year. I love the music that goes with that. I love what Bob and, and uh, Justin did this morning and being able to just celebrate with all the music that comes this time of year. I love the fact that they hit all 89 keys on that keyboard. I know there's 88. I knew that. I wanted to see if they knew that. I'm listening to 3WS and Wish for the last three weeks already, and I will follow it all the way through and kind of disappointed on the 26th or the 27th when it's all done over. I love this time of year. I love the joy that goes with us. I love the story of Christmas. I love the characters of Christmas. Yesterday in my devotions, I was reading about Joseph, and as many times as we talk about Mary, and I'm still fascinated with a 16, 17, 15-year-old girl who her famous words said, being unto me according to your word, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I even like it. I don't know if I wanted it. But whatever you say, I'll do. And I'm fascinated by that gal being able to say that until I've met teenagers through the years who are just as obedient and just as faithful to God. But Joseph is the guy that fascinates me. There's no way anybody would believe this story. Even as I've read it a thousand times in the last 35 years of ministry, it is such an unbelievable story to believe it's what holds the gospel together. The creation and the incarnation is what holds the gospel together, but it's such an unbelievable story. And for Joseph, in his love and adoration for this sweet gal, unbelievable story that she's about to share or has shared with him, to say, I love her, care, and I'll do whatever you say, God. And as I read the background commentary behind him, and all of a sudden, at a certain point, he's totally obscured and out of the scene. I thought, what a great person to be able to play that kind of role and do it so well with such class and with such grace. But you know and I know that the Christmas story didn't start in Bethlehem. It began a long time ago in the heart of the Trinity with a plan to redeem the world from their sins. Just knowing that the Redeemer was coming turned Adam and Eve's hopeless situation into expectation. Time began to march on and God revealed more and more of himself and more and more about this Redeemer that was to come. He told Moses the Redeemer would be a prophet, mighty in word and deed. He told Jeremiah the Redeemer would execute justice and righteousness. He told Zechariah the Redeemer would be holy in all of his ways. He told Isaiah the Redeemer would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He told Micah the Redeemer would be born in Bethlehem and that he would sit on the throne of David and of his kingdom there would be no end. The story in and of itself, let alone the background that goes with that, is absolutely amazing. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span of time by 40 different generations and 40 different authors from every walk of life, including kings and peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. It was written in different places, in the wilderness, in dungeons, in palaces, in prison walls, while traveling on lonely islands and in the midst of war. It was written in different times, sometimes in peace, sometimes in battle. It was written during different moods, some writing from the heights of joy while others wrote from the very depth of sorrow. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, it covers hundreds of subjects, 
all different and diverse, yet with amazing harmony and continuity. Yet from Genesis to Revelation, there's one unfolding story, the story of redemption, the story of God's redemption through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. The theme of God's incredible love for the world flows off the pages of Scripture in his unbelievable gift to the world. God offers us the most amazing gifts anyone could have ever imagined. We all give and share a number of gifts over Christmas, and you've heard me talk before about the variety of gifts that come at this particular time of year. We've talked before about the gift for a gift, gift, gift. That one where I give to you and you give to me and we hope that it has equal value so that I don't feel that you've deprived me or I've deprived you in any way. We all know that obligatory gift that many people give at this particular time of year, feeling obligated to share with someone, either the mail carrier or people at work. Some have what's called the traditional gift. I'm not sure what else to call it, but at this particular time of year, they find that they want to do something unique, something special, not extravagant or extraordinary, but just something unique. They choose a family. I've had it done with me where people will say, I want to bless a family. Who can I bless this year? And through the years, it's fascinating for me just to be a part of that and for them almost every year to find somebody different who just needs blessed. I heard of one the other day that I want to start this year and I'm intrigued by its possibilities and, and I know you as well maybe have those traditional experiences of family where as a family, you do something for another family in ways that you wouldn't know and ways that they'll never know. If you've not had one of those, I encourage you to at least find one. It's a wonderful time of the year to kind of do something unique and different. They're the course of love gifts, that deep from within the heart kind of gift, not because you have to or supposed to, but you really want to show your love. Now, I hope you don't wait for Christmas to show how much you love people, but those kinds of gifts have an enormous amount of thought that goes with them. And then, of course, there's a the grace gift. It's overwhelming and unrepayable. Grace gifts can be extraordinary, they can be ordinary, but they usually don't have a price tag with them and usually can't find yourself going and find a particular family to take things to. It's usually a different kind of thing. For some, it's a service gift where they really do something unique for someone they wouldn't have normally done before. For others, it may be a togetherness gift. One of my favorite is the gift of forgiveness. Being able to offer it even if it hasn't been asked. I know you've gotten hurt, you're angry. What they did was wrong, the walls are high. I'm not going to forget what they did. No, sir, bless God, I'm not going to forgive. Do you know what they did to me? I usually don't. But I do know what it can do to you if you don't give that gift. It can eat away at you like a spiritual cancer and rob you of more joy than you would have ever imagined by allowing that to remain wasn't fair, wasn't your fault, didn't seem right, wasn't even true. But it's eaten away at your joy and eating away at your soul. And this may be the year where even if they didn't ask, even if they don't ask, even if they don't even know what they did exactly, to let it go and not take it around with you anymore. Grace gifts can come in a variety of forms, dozens of different forms. As we sense the Spirit of God saying to us, this is the year that I want you to do this. This is the time that I want you to share that. God's gifts to us come in so many packages. Salvation and forgiveness, as Justin said this morning, we talked about last Sunday morning to me, I hope I never get over. The fact that no matter what I've done or where I've been, God wipes the slate clean. 
and I get the chance to start all over again. No matter how far away from God you may have been at one point or the other, no matter how close you were and then how far you drifted and now where you are and from back, God remembers any, none of that when you come to him and ask for forgiveness. He wipes the slate clean. I hope every time I share communion, I never forget that it's all done under the blood. And when I came to Christ and forgiveness and I came and asked him to, receive, uh, to come into my heart and I received him as my savior, I get the chance to start all over again. And the slate is wiped clean. I like the fact that God gives me the gift of direction. He gives me the word of God. And I don't have to wonder where to go or where to turn. No matter what questions I have or what uncertainty I'm dealing with in life, I know that I can go to the word of God that's lasted the test of time. And it gives me an answer. All these years in ministry, I thought at some point after a while, you would have shared it all and talked about it all and read it all, and you didn't. Even as I'll share tonight, I'm intrigued by what God is. I believe, asking me to share over the next couple of years together in our Sunday morning services, sermons that I've never done before, sections of Scripture I've never talked about before. And I've been doing this for a long time. The Word of God is a gift to us that never, ever will run dry. Its resources are always there. It's got answers for every question in life. And you and I, in our context here in America, have the opportunity to have half a dozen different versions and maybe a half a dozen different Bibles. And God gives us direction. There's not one question we can face that he doesn't have an answer for. And not one time can you go to the word of God that you can't find anything that God wants to teach you out of. I'm fascinated by the fact that no matter how many times I read a section of scripture, I'll either find myself saying, I didn't see that before, or thank you, Lord, for sharing that with me today. The word of God is a great gift to us. It never runs dry and is always there. Power of his spirit is an amazing gift. I don't have to live this Christian life on my own. No matter how hard it gets, how hard I want to try, how hard I try to figure it out on my own, I don't have to do this on my own. God infuses me with the power of his spirit, comes and dwells in me by the power of his spirit when I give my life completely to him, and he lives this life for me. He gives me the power to face the enemy. He gives me the, the, the power to deal with all the circumstances in my life, to deal with my past, my present, and my future. All in the power of God's spirit. It gives me the gift of peace. Peace of God and peace with God. And there's a difference between the two. Peace was an automatic process. None of us as Christians would ever be stressed out, but it's not. Peace with God is a condition based on the word of God and our salvation. When I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have peace with God. Paul said, now that I've been justified by faith, I have peace with God. That's an amazing gift to have that kind of peace. I talk to people all the time at the near the end of their life or when they're going through difficult circumstances or in a, uh, a setting where family members are going through that deep, deep mourning for someone else and then they begin to talk about their own spiritual journey and I say phrases and I'm sure you've heard it as well, do you have peace with God? That's not the time you want to find out whether or not you have peace with God near the end of life. You want to know that now and the beauty of salvation is God offers it to us now. That I can ask him to come into my life and receive him as a savior and I've got peace with God. I know the moment I die, whenever that will be, I'll see him face to face. You know and I know that none of us have a certainty of that. No matter how long we think we'll live or how long we think we'll be here, there's no, uns no certainty of that. And I want to know now, I've got peace with God, so whenever he takes me home, I'll see him face to face. I'd have never believed this journey we went through in the last few weeks with Betsy. From teaching one Sunday to passing away, with no there's absolutely nothing they have found and no reason they have no idea 
Peace of God is based on a choice. One's based on relationship with God. I accept him as my savior and because of that I've got peace with God. The other one is the peace of God that many times is based on our will. Isaiah 26 is one of the verses I asked you to read yesterday in the phone tree that said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because I trust in you. Keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because I trust in you. A couple things I'd love to do and, and I know I want to do and I'd love to see you do over these next couple of weeks in preparation for Christmas. First one is to see God continually. Everywhere you go, especially during this time of the year, you have the opportunity to see all kinds of signs that point to God. I know there are so many places that don't talk about Christmas and don't advertise Christmas and don't mention it at all, but you know and I know that we can look for it everywhere and we'll find it. You'll be up, have the opportunity to see him everywhere you go and think about what's going on in your life and be able to point to this or point to that and see God in this or that or see God in a circumstance or a situation or in a person. That one you can do on the run, which at Christmas time is usually what we're pretty good at doing. But the other thing besides seeing God continually is to, secondly, sit with him daily. That's the harder one to do because we don't always t- stop long enough this time of year to do that, but... I encourage you to, away from all the rush and all the activities, just for a few moments every day, to begin to reflect on this time and this event. You can do it a number of different ways. I love looking at all the different stories and all the different characters and evaluating every aspect of John's version of this and Matthew's version and Luke's version and looking at the different aspects that go behind the scenes. Christmas message is amazing. It's profound. It's simple. It's so visible and so mystical all at the same time. And I encourage you to spend some time daily just sitting and reflecting. As Mary did when it says at the end of that section of Scripture, she pondered all of these things and kept them in her heart. What do you wonder about? What do you reflect on? If you don't spend some time daily just quietly away from all the activities around you, you're going to miss some amazing moments with God. Isaiah paints a beautiful picture of peace in the midst of all of this. In verses 3 and 4, he said, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Isaiah says you want to have peace in your life, you need to understand where to get it. In these two short verses, five times he refers to God. Number one, that God is an unfailing God. The word for God that he chooses to use here is the word Jehovah that talks about the covenant-keeping character of God. The God Jehovah is a God who keeps his promises. When he said, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, he means that. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he means that. He says, when you come to me and ask for forgiveness, I cast your sins as far away from the east as from the west, he means that. When he said, I've got a, preserved, a heaven preserved for you that you can't even fathom. Matter of fact, Paul says, I tried to describe it. It's undescribable. I can't put it into words. When God says, I've got something reserved for you that you can't even fathom, he means that. I mean, look at all the promises of the coming Messiah that is restored and given and shared in these few moments as we celebrate over the next few weeks and you read all the promises of God and recognize in one short weekend they were all fulfilled. There's not one thing, not one promise God's ever made that he cannot keep and will not keep. The other thing you notice about what he says here in Isaiah is our God is unchanging. He is the everlasting rock. 
you want to have peace, don't focus on the temporal things or the seasonal things. Focus on the unfailing, unchanging character of God. Sometimes we have the pressures of life that cause us to focus on the God of the past or the God of the future. I encourage you to focus on the God of today. The one who wants to share with you every single day. In a new and journey, as Lamentation says, it's new every single morning. One of my favorite sections of Scripture at Christmas time is John's rendition in the first chapter of John when he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. Emmanuel, as you saw in the video clip this morning, God with us. In the middle of that section of Scripture, because those are the two most familiar verses that we use, is John just simply saying, I'm not him, but I'm telling you he is it. He's everything we've looked for and then some. Ruth Barton, who we heard at council, wrote this about this time of year and John's rendition of looking for the right things in the right season. She said, especially as we get further and further into the Christmas season, we sometimes have trouble discerning the true meaning of things because we get confused with all the things around us. The season is a culture full of clatter and distraction. I encourage you to seek to make room for what's real and what's personal. In a season frantic with consumerism and superficial sentiments, commit to creating space for what's really important. In hearts driven to distraction by a multitude of cares and concerns, do whatever it takes to make a meaningful connection with the Christ of Christmas. I don't know if you do Advent with your family. Many don't, and we don't always as well, but there are some great Advent stories that go with this time of year. One was written a long time ago, and it says this, It's not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. It is true that God so loved this world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. It's not true that we have to accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. What is true is that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. It's not true that violence and hatred have to have the last word, that war and destruction rule forever. What is true is this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting One, and the Prince of Peace. I hope you have him this year. Let's pray. Father, I love this time of year, as many of us do, of the opportunity to reflect and rehearse and share about one of the most amazing stories in all of humanity. But I'm so delighted that it's not a story that we look back to and just simply rehearse the events of it, but it's a story that is just as relevant and real as it was when it was written, as when it was lived out, as it can be today. And so as we, over these next few weeks and these next two weeks specifically, begin to look for ways and to find you and see you, I trust that we really do see you every day. And as we begin to unpack your word and see the fascinating gifts that you have for us, that we'll never get tired or weary of sharing the story and the essence of what this is all about. I thank you for a peace that passes all understanding when our hearts and minds are stayed on you. I thank you for a peace that you give us when we embrace you as Lord and Savior, that we can have peace with you. And I thank you for the peace that we have when we keep our eyes on you, even in the midst of the turmoil around us. And so for family and friends who are celebrating over the next two weeks in a variety of ways, I trust, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will speak in loud and clear and visible and invisible ways and that we will see you everywhere we turn. For those that are really wrestling with some uncertainty, 
And for some even death, I just ask, oh God, in the name of Jesus too, that you will surround them with your amazing love. And that as they embrace you, you will embrace them. And you will keep covenant promise with them that you will never, ever leave them and you'll never forsake them. For Bessie's family and Tuesday night as we celebrate her life but mourn her death, her family and friends who will come, I trust that you will use the words and the events and the joy of her life in teaching these two-year-old kids on such a consistent basis as a reminder of what real truth is all about. And so speak, we pray, to many people who are in different stages of life. I thank you for what we have in Jesus and for the opportunity during these few weeks to celebrate it. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight and next Sunday morning. You don't want to miss next Sunday morning, trust me.